So many of us wish we can make the world a better place, but don't know where to begin. The vision of the Love Offering is to encourage and embolden a generation to do something to manifest the better world we want to see. First, by filling ourselves up with the love of Jesus Christ, and then pouring it out to the world around us. When we hear stories of how others have loved well, where they are, with the gifts that they've been given, it inspires and motivates us to do the same. Together, we can change the world one love offering at a time in thanksgiving to God, who is the most extraordinary giver of all. Katie M. Reed encourages others to find grace in the unraveling of life. As a trained Bible study facilitator, Katie uplifts audiences through transparent confessions, memorable object lessons, and biblical truth. Her book, May Like Martha, Good News for the Woman Who Gets Things Done, released July 2018 with Waterbrook. Katie blogs regularly at katiemreed.com and has published articles on Focus on the Family, Mops, Huff Post, Today's Parenting Blog, Bible Gateway, Crosswalk, and more. Katie delights in her hubby, five loud children, and their life in ministry. She speaks at conferences, retreats, camps, churches, and events. Without further ado, here's Katie. Hey, Katie. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you? Good. Thank you so much for being my guest today on the Love Offering Podcast. I appreciate your time. I'm honored. Thanks so much. Uh, actually, I, I thought today is the perfect day I needed this because I'm going to tell listeners that I we had an appointment at 11. I was like, oh, Katie, can we please move it to 1030 because I have like overbooked myself. And so I thought, obviously, I'm trying to be a mom today. So this, <laughs> this conversation is perfect. I needed to talk to you today to figure out how to get over these tendencies. <laughs> Hey, I understand. <laughs> well, I appreciate your grace to um, to interview a little bit early. And you, really, you are a tightly wound woman, too. I guess I'm calling myself one as well, who once fought for control, but now rests in being wound up in the love that doesn't change, scold, or leave. So how did you experience freedom from these perfectionistic tendencies? Well, it's a work in progress, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> First of all, but you know, for almost 40 years, I lived like I knew I was saved by grace, but then I lived like it was all up to me to stay in right standing with God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, I can just say that, but when you think about that, that's really like saying what Jesus did on the cross for us isn't enough, you know, that we have to do more. And I've, I'm designed to be a doer. I'm made like Martha, and that's not a bad thing. But where we kind of cross that line, I think, as doers is, is when we do in order to earn something that Jesus has already given us freely. And so the funny thing about this is, is when he helped me understand this, it wasn't because I was working harder to understand it, which I had done, you know, I kept trying to be like, God, help me understand grace more. Mm. It was just a gift he gave. And he reminded me that gift or that grace is a gift to be received. It's not a prize to be earned. And for a doer like me, 
it sounded too easy. You know, I just have to receive this. I mean, that in some ways it sounded easy, but I knew it would be hard for me to live that out because I'm so wired to do and perform and strive Mm. that um, the thought of just receiving from him again, sounded easy, but sounded hard to live out. Yeah. Almost too simple or something. Yeah. Well, so you said for almost 40 years, you tried to earn and keep God's favor with exemplary behavior until a dusty living room revelation changed all of that. So would you share this experience with us? I would be happy to, Rachel. So I have a friend named Jamie. She's also an author. She wrote the book Stolen Jesus and Sacred Ground Sticky Floors. And um, she was talking to me on the phone and um, she was talking about grace in a way that I hadn't heard it exactly the way she was describing. And so if I'm being honest, I was a little suspicious, like this sounds too good to be true. Mm -hmm. And so as she was talking to me, God gave me this picture in my mind's eye. And one thing that will help you to enter into this picture in my mind is to understand that we live in an A-frame home and it has two like wings on the sides and it was built in 1976. (laughs) Specific. Specifically, that's the year I was born. (laughs) Okay. And it has orange shag carpeting Mm, the original, you know, so you can, (laughs) you can just imagine this with me. And although I'm a Martha, I'm not the most tidy housekeeper. And so I don't dust or iron very Mm. often. (laughs) And so in my mind's eye, here I am and company is coming over. I'm acting like company's coming over. So I'm frantically dusting and picking up stray toys and barking orders to my family, which that's really realistic. I'm often like (laughs) hostzilla before people come over. (laughs) And so here I am getting frantically ready. And then all of a sudden I turn around and in the middle of my living room on a well-worn plaid, lazy boy recliner of all things is Jesus. Mm. And he is reading the newspaper of all things as I am just bustling around, you know, trying to get ready. And he says to me in this picture in my mind, Katie, Katie, come sit, relax with me. And he even invited me to sit on the edge of the lazy boy, which, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know about you, but in my mother-in-law's house, like you cannot sit on the edge of the furniture, (laughs) you know? And so Jesus, like in my mind's eye, I'm thinking to myself, okay, but faith without works is dead. Like if I relax, Mm. like, doesn't God want me to get things done as well? Cause he's pretty clear about that in his word. And he said, Oh, Katie, there will be time for that, but I am not company to impress. I am family to enjoy. Mm. And all of a sudden it was like, duh. I had invited him in when I was like four years old to be my savior. And he lived within me. He sat at the, you know, on the right hand of God, but he also, when we receive him, he resides in the home of our hearts. And I had forgotten that I belonged to him as a daughter because I'd been living like the hired help. Like I had to do all these things to keep him happy. I had to make sure my home was pristine and everything about me was put together, but he knew we couldn't do that perfectly. Right. And so he died for us because he knew we couldn't live perfectly. And I had overlooked the fact that he was at home within me and that I could rest within and not be in this frantic state. And yes, there are good things for us to do. 
But those things should be a response to his love, not a way to try to get the love that he's already given to us. Mm, Amen. Well, your first book, Made Like Martha, Good News for the Woman Who Gets Things Done, is all about exchanging try-hard striving for hope-filled freedom. So why do you think the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10 causes so many women to feel guilty? Well, I think it depends too, right? If you relate to Mary, you're probably feeling pretty good, you know, (laughs) because Jesus said Mary chose the good thing, the one thing, and it will not be taken away from her. But if you're more made like Martha, a get it done gal, you love checking items off your to-do list, this passage has caused a lot of us to have guilt Mm -hmm. for being made like Martha, but being made like Martha is a wonderful thing. In fact, in in John 11, five, it says Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And I think he knew, especially for us Martha types, that we might question if he loved us. So he spelled it out right there. (laughs) He loved each of those siblings that were wired so differently. But I think a lot of us have felt like there must be something wrong with being wired to do, to serve, because Martha was corrected in this passage. You know, she's busy getting ready for company, and Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted about many things, but one thing is necessary. And I think what we need to remember is that Jesus wasn't rejecting Martha, He was correcting something in her because he loved her. You know, if you have children, it's like you discipline your children because you love them. If you didn't care, you just let them do, excuse me, whatever they wanted to do, Mm -hmm. you know, but he speaks this in love. I don't think it's this scolding like Martha, Martha, Oh, I'm so exasperated with you. I think it's an invitation of Martha, Martha. You don't have to work yourself into this frenzy. Like you can work hard. You can even keep serving, but rest in who I am and who you are in light of me. Mm-hmm. Well, we usually assume that Jesus was Martha for working too hard. So would you say that that is true? You, I mean, I guess you just sort of answered that a little bit, but do you have anything to expand upon there? Well, well, I think a lot of us, they're made like Martha. We do kind of wear ourselves out to be worthy at times. And I think that's what he was correcting her on is that, you know, it's not all up to you to keep the world spinning, you know, like you have a part in this, but it's not all on your shoulders. Your shoulders weren't married, weren't um, created to carry that heavy load, but his were. And so I don't think he's asking us to stop serving. In fact, later on, we see that Martha's serving again and Jesus doesn't correct her. I think it's more about heart posture, about knowing that, again, everything doesn't have to be perfect, that he is enough for our not enough. And I think when we understand, we understand his love, We can still work and serve, but we do it from this place of peace instead Mm, of panic. Peace instead of panic. I like that. So you write in your book that many of us assume that God is mad at us or disappointed in us. So why do you think that that is? And how have you found healing in your life from that assumption? Well, I don't know if it comes with the territory or not, but I'm a firstborn girl. My hunch is that 
a lot of firstborn girls might be more like Martha, you know, being responsible and capable are good Mm -hmm. things. But I think that it's, um, sorry, can you repeat your question one more time? So you write in your book that many of us assume that God is mad at us or disappointed in us. So why do you think that that is? And how have you found healing in your life from that assumption? Absolutely. Yes. That's where I was going is that I think a lot of us are made like Martha are super hard on ourselves already. So if someone corrects us, even when it's out of love, it can feel like, oh, I'm just the worst because like we know our own Mm -hmm. faults. Right. And so sometimes when someone points something out to me, I'm just like, it makes me crumble inside because I'm working so hard all the time to be enough. And I can be critical of other people too. And so I think I translated that into my relationship with the Lord, that if I don't do everything just right, you know, he's going to be angry because he's this holy and just God. And I don't want to miss the mark, but in the process, I was missing out on the gift of grace and that, um, Jesus died for my lack, for my sin. And that is such a weight lifting exercise, Mm -hmm. you know, that doesn't strain our biceps, (laughs) but it increases Uh our faith, right. Of just knowing that, yes, there is wrath for sin and on the cross, Jesus satisfied it. So if we believe in Jesus by faith, then we can stand tall knowing that God loves us and he's not mad or disappointed in us, but that we are beloved daughters because of what Jesus has done for us. Well, you make a fascinating twisting of God's words to Eve in Genesis and our interpretation of Jesus's words to Martha. So would you tell us more about um, that comparison? Yeah. Well, in, you know, the Garden of Eden, God had said, you know, you can eat, you're free to eat from any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I think so many times I know, like, we focus on the one thing we can't do instead of all the things we can do. And it's there, you know, Jesus said, you're free to eat from any of these trees except this one. Well, that's mm. the one, you know, that they were drawn to. And the, you know, the serpent comes in and first cast doubt, you know, said, did God really say that you can't eat from this tree? And then Eve says, she adds to what God says. We can't even touch that tree, which isn't right. what he said, right? He said, don't eat of it. But she's like, we can't even touch it. She kind of put rules around the rules like the Judaizers have done in Jesus' day. And um, so she adds to it. And I feel like we've done the same thing in the story of Mary Martha. Like, okay, what did Jesus say? He did correct Martha and tell her that there was a better way. But he didn't say there was something wrong with being like her or that there was something wrong with being a doer. He was pointing out that one thing that she needed to work on. And again, like we talked about earlier, he did that because he loved her. And so I think a lot of us have heard messages or read books where it's like, you better kind of undo your Martha tendencies. Well, if no one was made like Martha, I'm afraid not a lot would get done, (laughs) right? And so it's a Mm -hmm. good thing to get things done, but it's also great that there are people that are made like Mary, because if we were only made like Martha, we'd probably Mm -hmm. burn out from all the things we were doing. And a lot of us have both Mary and Martha tendencies. 
And I think it's important to realize like we're better and stronger together. There are positives and negatives to both personality Mm -hmm. bent. And I think the key again is are we living as a daughter? Are we living as this hired help that we've got to do all these things and keep up appearances? And so many times I have said yes to things out of guilt or people pleasing. And I think a really freeing exercise for women that are made like Martha is to say, I want to say yes to God's assignments. Because sometimes we add other assignments, like extra credit or something (laughs) that God never Uh even asked us to do, you know, or we're afraid of what people will think or that we're going to disappoint someone. And, you know, it's honorable to want to say yes to things, but let's say yes to what God's asked us to and have that freedom to say no to the things that he said are not for us. That is a daily challenge for me. Um, So how can this new understanding of Mary and Martha keep us from judging others? or even ourselves? Well, again, I think it's celebrating the way that God has made us and other people. You know, a while ago, I had a friend who's more made like Martha, and she came and helped me clean out my fridge, which is a really gross (laughs) job. You know, we have five (laughs) kids. And it was this beautiful act of worship to the Lord for her to come help me in that way. And then I have a Mary friend who's my go-to person when I need to be heard and I need prayer. And it's like, my life is better because of both of these women. And I don't think one's more holier than the other. I think both of those were an act of them serving the Lord. One, you know, was getting her hands dirty. And the other was taking time out of her busy day to stop and pray. And so I think when we see those strengths in each other, instead of you viewing it like this competition, mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, the body of Christ, we each have a different role. And when we're working together, it's just such a beautiful thing to behold. And we're not living like it's all up to us alone, which is an exhausting yeah. way to live. Oh, I love that imagery. Um, so how can we think of Jesus's words to Martha as an invitation rather than as a criticism? Well, I think it's what we um, what we think about him. You know, I used to read the Bible as if it was this like you know, tyrannical master that's like, you better stay in line or else you're in trouble, you know, versus, man, he's a loving father, even if I don't always understand his ways. And so I think as we learn more of who God is and what he says about us, we start to hear things differently um, in scripture. And I think also, um, when I was digging a little deeper into what you know, when God said, Mary has chosen the better thing and it shall not be taken from her, you know, some other um, versions say the good part. And I looked at what that word part meant and it said share of the inheritance. Mm. And I thought, man, God was inviting Martha to her share of his Mm. goodness. It wasn't this, you know, hey, Martha, your sister's the poster (laughs) child for getting it right. And you really screwed (laughs) up, you know? It was like, Martha, this is available for you too. And I like to talk about our souls can be at rest 
even when our hands are busy, when we get a hold of this, it also reminds me of the older brother in the prodigal son story. You know, this son goes and wastes his inheritance. And then the father, you know, is waiting for him and rejoices when he comes back. And the older son is kind of miffed. And he's like, listen, I've been doing all the right things basically. And you haven't thrown this party for me. And I totally relate to that older brother, you know? And the father said, son, all that I have is yours. And I think that's what Jesus was saying to Martha. Like Martha, all that I have was yours. And who knows, you know, she's frantically getting ready for company. Maybe he was going to multiply loaves and fishes again. You never know. But she was kind of living as if it was all up to her. And so I really think his correction to Martha was this invitation that, Martha, all I have is yours. You're not left alone. And in fact, Martha says, my sister's left me alone to do this all. Don't you care? And I wonder how many of us do the same thing to God. God, don't Mm -hmm. you care? Am I all left alone to do this? And he reminds us, you know, choose the good part, choose your share of the inheritance that you're a daughter, you're not an orphan, you belong, you're not a slave. Enjoy my presence. I'm family, not company to impress. Yeah, I love how you are tying all these stories together, like the, the, the common thread. Well, on a practical level, how can we sit at Jesus's feet as we go about our busy days and fulfill our God-given call to accomplish things. In in other words, what does it look like to rest even as we get things done? This is the million-dollar question. (laughs) Yes. Well, here's the thing. I used to think, like, if I don't have my hour quiet time in the morning, like, I'm in trouble, you know, or... And, and I tell you, like when I am able, I can't really have an hour because, you know, the kids just keep getting up, even if I get up earlier, but you know, I do feel better Mm -hmm. when I have that time because my mind Mm -hmm. feels renewed, but here's the thing, God, I mean, you know, imagine that recliner again, he's residing in the home of our hearts. And so I think a lot of us feel like we can only connect with him in our quiet time, but he is, you know, the hope in us, the hope of glory, you know, God in us. And so even if we're doing dishes, even if we're picking up kids, you know, from school, or we have a big work deadline, it's like God is still with us. And so I think connecting with him can look a thousand different ways. You know, it could be, you know, we saw a rainbow yesterday and it was like, we were worshiping God about this rainbow, even as we're driving through the mud and the fog and the rain. It's just, I think, pausing and being aware of him already being there with us. I think a lot of us act like he is playing hide and seek with us, you know, but a lot of times it's just us not thinking about the fact that he is with us. And so while quiet time is super important and it benefits us, you know, sometimes those SOS prayers during the day, like, you know, when you experience today, like, oh my goodness, I have this and I have this, God help, you know? And I mean, that's connecting with him too. And so, um, and some of us connect with God in different ways. Some people love nature. Others love music. You know, some love to get their highlighter out and study their Bible. And um, to realize like from day to day, it can look 
different, but we're not in trouble if it doesn't look a certain way. That is a good perspective mind shift um, that I think that I especially need, and I'm sure listeners um, will as well. So you write about receiving God's grace in the middle. What do you mean by that? And how do our Martha personalities make us resistant to messes? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but I'm a one on it, which is the Mm. perfectionist. And so I see the world through a lens of everything could be improved. (laughs) And so you can imagine how that is to be married to me (laughs) and my children, you know. And so for me, like, that's the way I see the world. And in some ways, it's a good thing because God did make the world perfectly, you know, and then sin entered in. And so it's like, in my mind, I'm always trying to get to Mm, that perfection, but it's a very discouraging quest, right? On this side of eternity. And so for me, like, again, the reality of a busy mom, you know, writer, speaker, five loud, wonderful kids is we have messes Mm. a lot, you know, and not just the physical kind, right? Emotional kind or all of that. And so I think it's realizing I need to lean into God in the tension. And so many times I'm waiting for the tension or the crisis or the mess to get taken care of before I settle down on the inside, but to realize like, oh man, I need to take some deep breaths. But even here, even when milk spills or, you know, right now our van's not working, you know, it's like those things could take me down or they could just be like, okay, God, Help me to not be panicked, but to have that peace. You're true to your promises. It doesn't mean our life is going to be this neat and tidy package, you know, all tied up with a bow, but just of inviting him into that mess. Um, You know, he's not afraid of that. He's not surprised by it, but to connect with him, even while those things are happening, because for so long, I just wanted to you know, wait till everything was just right. But guess what? Everything's not going to be just right very often. And so um, I think a lot of us kind of use that excuse and it can be a noble, again, a noble quest, but also discouraging one if we keep putting things off until everything is just right. It it actually makes me think about he makes beauty out of our brokenness. And for me, at least, I know that I when things are a mess is when I probably lean into him even more. And I'm ashamed to admit that, that I wish it was more of like, I I go to him in in praise, but I think when I am struggling the most is when I cling to him even more. So I think he uses the messes sometimes to even um, wake us up to, to lean on him, uh, at least for me. Yeah. And absolutely. And I think that those things then, we can view them as a gift, even if they come in the form of this gift we'd rather not have. For instance, last week, like Monday through Wednesday, I was so sick and just, I had a speaking engagement Saturday. I'm like, I I don't know Mm. how I'm going to do this. Like I just had no energy and it was just not a good situation. But even though I was weak in my body, the Lord was making me strong in spirit. And it was such a gift looking back to be sick. And I don't think God's like, right. I'm making you sick. So yes. you learn this lesson. I think he used yeah. it for good. And he was reminding me, your very breath, your strength, your ability to get things done. It's a gift yes. from me. It's not because you're so great or you have all this know-how. And so it really humbled me. But it 
again, it was such a gift to realize like, man, I am dependent on him for everything. And I think I needed a fresh reminder of that because if you're a woman that's highly capable, you know, strong woman, it's easy to start to kind of Mm. pat yourself on the back of like, man, look at all that I can do. And it's all grace. It's all because that he allows us to even have breath. And so he gets all the glory and and, and we don't rely on ourselves as, as we are prone to do. So what do you mean by stop striving for what is already yours? That's a quote that you use in your book. What do you mean by that? Well, I'll illustrate by telling the story. I was at a speaking at a quilters retreat. It was a fun group of ladies and I had done, it was my first retreat where I was giving like four messages over a couple days. And this woman came up to me and she said this very nicely but she said, you know, God has given you these giftings, but you don't have to strive mm. within them. And it was just really profound moment because I had learned how not to strive in a lot of areas, but yet I was still doing that within my talents. And she said, you don't have to do that. And again, it was this deeper level of trusting God and that he's the giver of good gifts and um, to realize again how much he loves us, that he's given that to us already. It's not something we have to strive to have. It's something that we open our hands to receive. And if you're like me, you might have a receptivity deficiency where it's maybe easier for you to take care of others or do things for them, but it's hard when people do that Mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. Like it's either humbling or you feel like you've dropped the ball, but um, to understand we don't have to strive for what God freely gives to us. My, um, I grew up in the eighties, you know, I was younger then and cabbage patch kids mm-hmm. were all the rage, you know, and my, my aunt gifted us with cabbage patch kids, which we couldn't believe it. I mean, we were squealing with delight. We were so excited and God said something to me as I was or revealed something to me as I was thinking about these cabbage patch kids. He said, wouldn't it have been really weird if you would have said to your aunt, I'm going to come shovel your driveway or always be good or give you all the money in my piggy bank to pay you back Mm. for this gift. She just wanted me to enjoy the gift. And God does the same thing with us. You know, we don't have to promise that we'll, you know, never mess up or, you know, do all these chores for him, you know, in order to pay him back. He freely gave us himself. And because he did, we want to do things for him. And he has things planned for Mm -hmm. us to do. But to do that from a place of thanksgiving and love instead of striving is so free. I have a friend. He's an eight-year-old man. His name's Jim. I call him like my angel. I'm like, he's my, I'm his adopted granddaughter, (laughs) I think. But, and he is constantly giving to me and my family. And I always say, gosh, I'm never going to be able to repay you. You I just, I just, I'm never going to be able to. And he says this, you're going to rob me of my blessing if you try to, (laughs) like, I don't want you to. Mm. And so, um, what you're saying really resonates with me that, and, and I think that's the same way as us as mothers. It's like, we don't expect our children to pay us back for the things that we're doing for them. You know, we love them. That's what we want to do. And, um, so I, I really like everything that you're, that you're saying, Um, And then as we go on to our next question, something that you mentioned earlier, you contrast 
tired help mentality with a beloved daughter way of thinking. So what is the difference between these two and how do we live out that difference? Well, I think in Luke 10, 38 through 42, my hunch is that Martha was living in that moment, in that time in her life with this hired help mentality. And another word for it's the orphan spirit or like an outlook of scarcity, you know, where it's like, it's all up to me. If I don't work hard, I'm going to lose what I have. You know, other people's successes are a threat to my happiness. Um, you are really hard on yourself when you mess up and you replay the event over and over. And I think that's what was going on with Martha. It was like, here I am in the kitchen, you know, kind of that yeah. martyr syndrome, you know, here I am in the kitchen. My sister's just sitting there at his feet. Why doesn't she get off her duff and come <laughs> yeah, help me? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think some women feel like this. I know not all women cook on Thanksgiving, but for those of us that do, I think it's a similar feeling. Like, I love that uh, you get to watch the dog show in the parade <laughs> and the football game, but here I am slaving away for hours in a meal you're going to yeah, eat in 20 yeah. minutes. You know, it's kind of that same <laughs> thing. And there's nothing wrong with enlisting help, you know, and I really wish Jesus would have told Mary, hey, go help Martha. <laughs> but he did in this instance. But he invites us to live as a beloved daughter and a beloved daughter knows that she's secure, you know, knows that it's not all up to her to keep the whole world spinning. And she might feel that way. Her circumstances might feel that way, but that God is with her in that. And he also wants to provide other people to help, you know, in whatever that way that looks. But sometimes we want the literal help in the kitchen when maybe what God's going to offer is a slice of his peace instead, you know, or maybe it's um, a sweet time with him, you know, praying as we're cooking. And I think sometimes we want his provision to come in one way and it comes in a different way. And I think a beloved daughter, her eyes are open to that, you know, that she is secure in God's heart. She's the apple of his eye. She doesn't have to jump through spiritual hoops, you know, to keep a shiny gold star, you mm. know, on her mm -hmm. forehead that he is pleased with her because Christ is in her. And so this beloved daughter's mentality knows that God's yeses and no's are for her good. And that when she's successful, she knows that God gets the credit for it. She knows that she's beloved because she exists, not because of all her productivity. Uh, this is like such an identity. You know, who who are you? Um, so the idea of keeping things balanced can feel like an uphill climb for busy women. How do you personally maintain balance as a working mom yourself? Well, I have to say, I have, you know, especially some older women in my life that will say, you've got to stay balanced. You got to stay balanced. And honestly, when they say that, I kind of shudder because as again, as a recovering perfectionist, that just sounds like they're telling me, yeah. be perfect. Yeah. Don't mess <laughs> up, you know? And it makes me think of when I was in sixth grade, I was in one gymnastics meet um, and I fell off the beam about five times and it was pretty humiliating, but I was trying so hard to be flawless that I toppled mm -hmm. under the pressure. And so instead of the word balance, I like to think about it a little differently is I want to steward 
each thing well. And so whatever I'm doing at the moment, you know, right now we're doing this podcast interview. I want to steward that well. I want to be a faithful steward with what's been entrusted with me. But when I try to think about the whole picture and all the plates that are spinning, it just feels overwhelming. But it's like God can help us be faithful in the moment right now and then in the next Mm -hmm. one after that. And it's not always going to look even, you know what I mean? But as we are faithful stewards with his help, and even when we mess up to say, God, you know, help me to do a better job with being present with the thing that's in front of me. I think it frees us to not feel like we have to be all things to all people, but God help me to be, you know, the best me in this moment with your strength. And then when the next moment comes, you'll give me manna for that moment too. And that seems a lot less overwhelming than keep it all, you know, keep it all together. And so I think that can be really Mm -hmm. freeing. We talked a little bit about, you know, saying yes to God's assignments. I think the other two words to keep in mind with this idea of stewarding well is to say no to guilt and manipulation. You know, if we're, if God's not really asking us to do something now, granted, I don't want people to say, well, I don't feel led to take out the trash. You know, I don't think God's assigning me that, you know, there are times that we just have to do the things we don't Mm -hmm. want to do. Right. But sometimes signing up to bake a hundred cupcakes, you know, for my kid's class might not be his assignment for me and that's okay. Right. Um, But then the last word is help. And I think this is hard for us that are made like Martha because we view it as a weakness when really delegation is wisdom. Right. But I think what we need to remember is when we invite others to help us, they might not help in the exact (laughs) way we have envisioned. And that Mm -hmm. is okay. There's Mm -hmm. grace for that too. But I heard a speaker once say, if they can do it with 80% capacity, (laughs) just hand it over. It's okay. You're not towels the right way. You're loading the dishwasher the right way. That's right. So as a modern Martha who has five children, what advice do you have for navigating your to-do list when it comes to parenting? Well, this is, again, a work in progress. But for me, you know, our family believes that we are a team, that this, you know, the tasks of our family doesn't just fall on one person. And so, like, when I was writing the book, you know, my daughter really stepped up and she started cooking and she actually found out she had a passion for baking and cooking. And, um, again, there was times where I did not handle that season well, but we try to, if someone's got a lot on their plate, we try to step up and fill in those gaps. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, one thing I'm trying to learn too is, Sometimes I'll give my kids like three chores at once, you know, and one time my son said, mom, I can't take the recycling out if I'm already doing this other thing, you know, and so it's easy for me to kind of pile on the things as a Martha, but to try, they've helped me learn, you know, okay, mom, just tell me the next thing, you know, not the next 10 things, but just what's the next thing. And then I also have to realize, I read this, um, homeschool book once and it said you know it doesn't always have to be fun sometimes it just needs to get done Mm. but God has reminded me of the opposite you know there's a time to be done Katie and there's a time to have fun and I always want to get it done so I can have fun but sometimes the fun needs to be had you know before or while the things are getting done and so again work in progress but I think to realize that not 
everyone in our family is going to see things through the same lens. Sometimes I think something must get done right now or yesterday. And the reality is it could even wait a little longer. And so I think just kind of that ebb and flow of learning like, okay, what does really need to get done right now? And what is just me being a little controlling and and demanding my way? And thank God for his grace, right? Mm -hmm. Because we are all learning and especially in our families, you know, we have different personalities and different styles of doing things and it's making room for each other so that one person doesn't become the dictator. Yeah. That's all such good advice and wisdom. And I keep going back to, as we've been talking, I keep thinking of life is more of a marathon rather than a sprint. And I think for me, I get caught up in thinking, Oh, I've got to do this right now. There's a finish line really quickly you know, soon, but reality, I mean, I never know when the Lord is going to take me home, but the reality, I I think I have a long time to accomplish what he's wanting me to accomplish. And so for me, that mind shift of, okay, I can pace myself. I don't have to just be in an all out sprint, um, helps me personally. Yeah, that's great advice because I can live like that a lot too. Like hurry, hurry, hurry. And I don't want my kids to look back on their childhood and be like, mom was hushing and hurrying me, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think that's the picture, you know, of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, you know, that there wasn't this rush. There was this soaking in, you know, what God has to say. And I think in our society right now, there's so much pressure on women to kind of be and do it all. But there's freedom in saying no. You know, recently I've said no to being the cake decorator because I cannot do all the things. And it's made room for my daughter, my sister-in-law to step up and do that and offer. And I think um, we were never designed to be, you know, do it all and be all because why would we need a savior then? Mm, Yeah. Well, and I love what you're saying about when you said no to something, it was a yes for your daughter and it it revealed in, in, in something that she loved to do. And then maybe if you had not ever said no, then she would have never discovered that. So I love that it made room, um, for her to grow in that way as well. So you have a maid like Martha sisterhood that women can join online. So if women join, what content would they expect um, when they participate? Yeah, well, I always say um, everyone is welcome. And instead of saying the more the merrier, we say the more the Martha, oh. right? <laughs> but yeah, so we have, there's a five-day reading plan on version that we have gone through. We've gone through the Bible study in the back of the Made Like Martha book. I just shared a resource. My friend wrote a book called Sacred Rest. And so it's really this hub for women to identify like, you know, relate to Martha to just get encouragement. I don't bombard people because we are all busy, but it's just those nuggets of encouragement. We also have like a free, um, video series that's called stress less and smile more. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a way for them to get the latest updates and, um, just that message of trading that try hard living to this hope filled freedom and in small doses. And so we'd love to have people join the may like Martha sisterhood on Facebook. Yeah. It makes me think of too, just like, we just need to journey when you were talking about that earlier about just having fun <laughs> in the midst of all that we're doing. And um, so I can see that that sisterhood would be very worthwhile to be a part of. Um, So you and your husband, Adam, co-host Stop Hammock Time, which makes me giggle (laughs) back to the MC (laughs) Hammer days. Um, So every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time, you broadcast live and 
you broadcast live and you encourage couples to get closer and grow deeper. What inspired you and your husband conversation? Well, yeah, I was just thinking about this this morning because it's been about four years that we started the show. And part of it was, you know, Wednesday is midweek and we're tired by Wednesday. You know, we're running around and it was a chance for he and I to connect with each other. But there was also opportunity to talk with other people that tune in. You know, we have people that are married, people that aren't. Um, We have widows. We have people that have been divorced, all the whole gamut that tune in. And it's just this quirky show. Sometimes we interview um, authors. Sometimes we just share funny things we're learning, but it's just an opportunity in the middle of the week for about 20 to 30 minutes to just connect um, with other people. And in the process, like, you know, a lot of times technology can keep people apart, but God has used this to help us. You know, we sit side by side in the nice When the weather's nice, we sit in our hammock. When it's cold, we sit in front of our fire and we just share what's on our hearts. And it's been one of the best things for our marriage personally. And we hope it strengthens other people as well. Yeah. Well, so we obviously, you know, hearing that you are a modern Martha, I know that you are an extraordinary giver in lots of ways. But so I always ask my guests the same question as we close. So is there somebody that comes to mind that has been an extraordinary giver for you in your life? Well, you know, I was thinking about this and two people came to mind. The first is my husband, Adam. He is very supportive of my writing and speaking. And, you know, he is no saint by any means, but he is constantly giving and serving. And sometimes I feel guilty because I feel like I'm more of a taker, you know, but he inspires me to be more of a giver. And then the other is my brother, Brian. He has Down syndrome. He's two and a half years younger than I am. And, you know, God has used him to help me understand that my productivity doesn't equal my value Mm -hmm. because in the world's eyes, my brother is not contributing as much to society by the world's standards but he loves unconditionally and he has worth just like we all do because we exist. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have to jump through all these hoops or score all these, you know, test scores or earn medals. Although he has lots of them from special Olympics from doing bocce ball, but he is a, he is a giver and, you know, he will give me like, he'll just point to the Bible to a timely Bible verse or just put his hand on my shoulder or, you know, when they're visiting our church, just, you know, grab onto my finger and just that love, that steady love that just um, selflessly gives, it just helps you stop and realize what's really important. Yeah. We always will remember how people made it. Um, yeah, I love That's that. That's right. So how can listeners uh, keep in contact with you? Well, if they go to katiemreed.com, it's read is R-E-I-D. Um, there's lots of resources there. They can sign up for the Stress Less Smile More video series. Um, and also on Facebook, Katie M. Reed. And then on Instagram, it's Katie underscore M underscore Reed. But would love to connect. I love to encourage people and um Thanks so much for having me today, Rachel. Yeah, thank you for being my guest. And uh, I needed this session today. (laughs) And I'm sure listeners will um, glean from you as well, all of your words of wisdom. But we appreciate your encouragement to work from a place of strength and peace and to move from striving settledness in Christ. God bless you, Katie.
Thanks so much. The Love Offering was created to inspire us to intentionally seek ways to share God's love with a world often marked by the opposite. God gives us His love so freely. He simply asks that we believe in Him and that we share His love with others. The hope of the Love Offering is that it starts a chain reaction of loving service that points people to Him. It is a pure-hearted, servant-minded approach to living. So where does God have you? Who has He surrounded you with? What stirs your heart? Start there. No act is too big or too small. Let's spur one another on as we share God's love in tangible ways and change the world one love offering at a time. Thank you.